everyone. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, the Education Director at the Federation, and I am joined today by my esteemed colleague, Maria Gallagher, the Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. Great to be with you. Well, we've been waiting for months to talk to today's guest, Tony McFadden is the author of Redeemed, My Journey After Abortion. She is also a wife, mother, student, international speaker, and passionate defender of life. We are eager to talk with Tony and to hear her insight on the topic that is dominating today's headlines. In addition, Maria will report on National Right to Life's reaction to the leak that indicated a possible overturn of Roe. But first, as always, we'll start with some pro-life inspiration. Now, last weekend, we held our very first chapter summit for pro-life leaders from across Pennsylvania. We invited chapter officers uh, and aspiring leaders from our 40 chapters to gather together so that we can strengthen and grow our presence in communities across Pennsylvania. Almost 50 pro-life activists traveled from all over the state for a day and a half of networking, brainstorming, and action planning. Now, as I stood before them for my first talk, I realized that I was actually addressing people who've been involved in the pro-life movement for far longer than I have been. Many of these leaders have been advocating for life for 10, 20, 30, some even 40 years. And though they've seen great progress in their attempt to build a culture of life, They've also seen some setbacks, and yet they have remained through activist judges, intense elections, a biased media, hostile opponents, pushback from individuals and organizations, an apathetic public, and tiny shoestring budgets. These pro-life leaders, despite any and all obstacles that came their way, stayed in the fight for life, and they didn't have to. They certainly could have found another job or hobby or cause to fill their time. They could have discerned that the issue of abortion is just too sensitive or too complex or too difficult to change minds. They could have grown tired and burned out, excuse me, but they didn't. They stayed in the fight for life. And even after years of experience and accumulated wisdom, they came together to a meeting to network with other leaders to find out how they could be even more effective in defending those who can't defend themselves. These are people who spent Saturdays organizing rummage sales, months planning walk for life events, year after year attending to all the details of a pro-life prayer breakfast. They've volunteered at pregnancy resource centers, they've prayed outside abortion facilities, and they've helped those wounded by abortion to find healing. They've held fundraisers, they've written op-eds, they've attended monthly meetings, they've organized phone chains and email lists. They each took their own talents and used them for a greater good. They sacrificed their time, their energy, and often even their own finances to serve the local chapter who was fighting for the lives of preborn children and for their mothers and fathers. These leaders on the local level continue to make a difference by being present and visible in their communities, by educating people at county fairs and church picnics, 
by providing information on candidates, by transforming hearts and minds. They represent thousands of other grassroots pro-life leaders, some who are now past, but all of them stayed the course. These modern day abolitionists are the reason we are winning. They are the reason a majority of Americans do not support unrestricted abortion or taxpayer funding of abortion. They, one person at a time, one interaction at a time, one conversation at a time, have shed light on the truth and have grown the pro-life movement. I can only imagine how they must feel at this moment in history with the possible overturn of Roe. All their hard work, their persistence, their dedication and passion after years of pledging to be the voice of the voiceless, they and we may finally begin a post-Roe era. So today I salute our chapter leaders, past and present, and anyone anywhere who has worked for so long to end the genocide of abortion. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for inspiring the younger generation to join you. Your heroic efforts will save countless lives and change the course of history. Maria. Thank you so much, Bonnie. The following is from National Right to Life. With ongoing court actions surrounding a Texas law protecting unborn children once a fetal heartbeat can be detected, and this summer's anticipated decision by the U.S. Supreme Court in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization about Mississippi's Gestational Age Act protecting unborn children after 15 weeks, there is much speculation in the press and among pro-abortion groups about the future of Roe versus Wade and the post-Roe landscape in the nation. While we are still awaiting a final decision from the court in the Dobbs case, media outlets have opined about the landscape in the event of Roe's downfall. Adding to this national conversation are numerous public opinion polls that purport to find that a majority of Americans oppose the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. These polls have helped pro-abortion organizations continue unabated with their decades-long public relations campaign that Roe versus Wade is somehow sacrosanct. However, according to a poll conducted by Reuters, more than two-thirds of Americans don't realize that what would happen if Roe versus Wade is overturned. More than two-thirds of Americans don't realize what would happen when asked, to the best of your knowledge, which of the following would happen if Roe versus Wade is overturned. 16% believed abortion would become illegal in the United States immediately. 28% believed abortions would become mostly illegal. 24% didn't know or didn't respond. Just 32% accurately said laws governing abortion would be made at the state level, allowing for it to remain legal in some stages and become illegal in others. While most pro-abortion organizations adopt a sky is falling stance, claiming that if Roe were overturned by the court, abortion would be illegal in a majority of the country, the reality is actually more complicated. Some states have laws protecting unborn children that predate Roe versus Wade. Other states have taken steps to pass trigger laws that would become effective to protect unborn children in the event of Roe's reversal. A plurality of states, either by state court decision or legislative action, would allow abortion on demand within their borders. 
Pennsylvania would protect babies from late-term abortions and from sex selection abortions. So we will need to continue to work so that all preborn babies are cherished and protected in the Keystone State. Bonnie. Thank you so much, Maria. Well, I am delighted to introduce today's guest. Tony McFadden is a pro-life advocate and international speaker on abortion. She is the author of the book, Redeemed, My Journey After Abortion. Tony shares her abortion story of regret with transparency while leaving the listeners with hope. Tony recently spoke at the first annual Pennsylvania March for Life in Harrisburg and at the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. She's written op-eds for Students for Life of America, Live Action, and Newsweek. She holds a bachelor's degree from Westchester University and her master's degree in biblical counseling from Summit University. She was the former relationship educator and director of relationship education program in the greater Philadelphia area for six years and has shared this program internationally in Africa and Israel. Tony has been married to her wonderful husband, Chris McFadden, for 12 years, and they have four beautiful children. She loves helping people see their worth and giving them hope through her own story, being an advocate for the unborn, being a stay-at-home mom, and spending time with her family. Welcome, Tony, to Positively Pro-Life. Thank you so much. Tony, what was your reaction when you first found out you were pregnant? I think I was in shock. Um, we know how this happens, but no one thinks it's going to happen to them. And I didn't really know what to do. I was afraid to share share it with my parents. And I often tell people, you know, I have a big family, um, lots of siblings, and I was kind of labeled as the good one. And, and I knew my parents wouldn't have expected me to be in this kind of situation. So I just was afraid um, to share that with them. And so I often encourage parents to over communicate in a way with um, their children and on this subject. And even though it could be very difficult, the point of Planned Parenthood is to take parental consent, parental anything out of the out of the way so that they can do what they want to do. Because if I could go back now that my parents do know, they said they would have never wanted me to have an abortion, that they would have um, helped me through that. That's so true. I think sometimes um, you, you don't want to disappoint your parents and the expectations are so high. Um, and so you just think, all right, I can't possibly share this with anybody. Mm -hmm. um, can you can you share a little bit about your abortion experience and what happened afterwards? Yes. So I was about seven weeks along. Um, I'd been dating a guy off and on for about two years and he was in college at this point and I was a senior in high school and I had the typical fears like how am I going to graduate or how am I going to go to college how it was very self-centered um I was more worried about myself and um, my boyfriend didn't want me to keep the baby and my best friend the first thing she said to me was, you can't keep this baby. So those are the only two, only two voices I really had in my head. Um, 
I was given the RU486 pill, which is also chemical abortion pills. Um, now, this was 1999. Um, these were not even FDA approved yet, but of course, they don't really <laughs> care about that. So I was already given those pills. Um, the first set, you know, to take in the office with the, the doctor, and then the second set I was supposed to take in the comfort of my home 24 to 48 hours later. So just think a teenage girl who doesn't really know about fetal development, doesn't really know about what these pills are really actually going to do. The doctor had said that I would just have some heavy bleeding, a little bit more heavier than a regular period. That's what I was told. Um, when I will never forget before they had given me the, the pills, they gave me an ultrasound. And the ultrasound screen was faced against the wall. And I asked if I could see that. And the, I remember the nurse being very agitated with me having that question. And she was very hesitant. But then when she turned the screen around, she said, see, it's nothing. It's just the size of a pea. Mm-hmm. And knowing what I know now, I know that is that was a lie. Seven weeks, you know, the baby already has a heartbeat, you know, at conception that, um, this the blueprint of this child's life is established right there. How tall they're going to be, their eye color, their skin tone. This is, this DNA will never, ever be created again. And I just wish I knew what I know now back then, um, which is why I do what I do now. Um, If you really want someone to have um, the truth, you're going to tell them the truth in that moment. And I'll be the first one to say that um, I take full responsibility for what I did. Um, But I also wish that um, I was given all the correct information, which is why I love um, pregnancy resource centers. But um, I had complications um, I took the second set of pills, like the doctor told me to, and I only spotted a little bit and they had given me two sets. So I took the second set and again, nothing really happened. And it wasn't until a month and a half, almost two months later, while I was in school, I started, um, severely hemorrhaging. And, um, if you've ever seen, I see you have the poster, the unplanned movie. Um, if you, have ever seen that movie for those of your viewers, um, they are not over-exaggerating that. Um, I went through that by myself, bleeding for hours, um, just very traumatic to see and to experience and just think of a teenage girl going through that. And now they want to just have these on college campuses. And I just can't imagine, this is not... (laughs) caring for women. And then all I did was stuff it down and act like it didn't happen and try to move forward. Even though something that's legal, you think you would be okay with, but they uh, they don't prepare you for the aftermath emotionally that you're going to have to walk through. How have you experienced post-abortion healing? Mm -hmm. Number one, Jesus. When I gave my life to the Lord while I was at Westchester University, um, it took a few years, honestly, um, before I would before I was open with sharing um, that part of my life. But um, 
God is very gracious and he's very patient the way he walks you through things. And when it was time, I went through, um, uh, forgiven and set free Bible study by Linda Cochran. And I was able to walk through that one-on-one with a counselor from the local, uh, pregnancy resource center, which I eventually started working for. Um, you mentioned earlier in my bio, um, that I became the director of the relationship education program of going into schools and speaking on saving sex for marriage. So that's what I love about the Lord is that he'll take, those things that you did against him. And when you give your life to him, he'll change it around to bring himself glory um, and to help others to heal. So walking through that Bible study really helps me to own what I did. Also um, offer forgiveness to those who didn't tell me the truth. What would you say to a woman who has had an abortion and who now regrets it? I would say that um, there is redemption, that your past does not have to determine your future, that um, there are women who are suffering in silence that um, really need the hope of Jesus, really need the hope of the gospel because he is the only one who can redeem those things. And um, if you're not a Christian, definitely going and educating yourself on what happened and what was done. And that's very difficult to do, but a link arms with someone who's going to share the truth with you and get with other women who have gone through the same thing. That's why um, pregnancy resource centers have post-abortion counseling. Go and do that for yourself so that you can heal and so that um, it's not hidden in the dark anymore. And because when it's hidden in the dark, you just keep lying to yourself and lying to yourself and it's affecting you in ways that you don't understand. Um, I mean, you can look when you go to a women's march, these women are so angry because they want to be justified in what they did, but they know that it was wrong because abortion changes you. There's nothing natural. There's nothing normal about ending the life of your own child. There's no way to normalize that. I don't care how much you scream. I don't care how much you, you know, uh, try to use euphemisms. It doesn't work. And um, this is why I'm so thankful um, that I'm able to share on both ends. Um, I've gone through it. I understand the lies. I understand being scared or feeling like you don't have support. But now we've advanced so much in technology. We've advanced so much in our knowledge of what is happening in the womb. And we have so many support systems that that is the number one reason a lot of women have abortion because they don't have the support. This is why I do what I do is I'm here to support those women. I throw, I've thrown multiple uh, baby showers for women um, just so they can get on their feet. Um, I've been educating um, others about the history of Planned Parenthood. So there are a lot of things, so many support systems out there that can help women in their time of need. Can you tell us a little bit more about your program, Relationship Matters, and the kind of responses that you get? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's changing a little bit for me. Um, uh, I originally, when I, when the Lord was like, okay, it's time to start speaking again. Cause I had laid down speaking for eight years after I got married and I had my four children, I didn't speak for a long time. And then I thought the Lord was going to have me start speaking on the relationship education, because I think in order to prevent abortions, you have the standard of sex relationships and the value of it needs to be talked about. And um, I still do this once in a while, but I've mainly been talking (laughs) on the pro-life issue. Um, But the relationships matter is basically educating the youth on the degradation of sex in our culture. And when they have the right view of what sex is, I think that that could also affect um, abortions not happening. Um, I think our, our culture has lowered the standard when it comes to sex and they're degrading people and they're degrading you and they have taken that true value away. And so I wanna speak truth into the younger generation so they have a right view um, of who they're becoming and who they wanna be and that sex is powerful and it's something to be valued, um, not to just be thrown around like our culture says. So I'm trying to combat that um, with the culture. Why did you decide to write your book? That kind of goes back to your previous question. The reason I decided to write the book is because I've had so many women say um, either I don't know how to heal from my abortion or I'm a believer, but I still don't believe that or I can't imagine God forgiving me for this. And so that my book is um, explaining my journey, but it's also explaining the redemption of what God um, has done. If you read in Isaiah um, 18 or no one verse 18, it's talks about the Lord says that, um, though your sin, your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And so that was one of the scriptures the Lord gave me as I surrendered that part of my life to him. And I want women to know that that's where the hope lies. That's where your hope can be restored. That's um, my book is really explaining that his blood was enough. His death and resurrection was enough. And that is where your freedom lies. It's not going to be in justifying the abortion. It's not going to be in stuffing it down and it's not going to be in silence. Um, It's when you give that over to him and that's going to look differently for everyone, but I'm just trying to be one piece of hope and of healing and of forgiveness for those who have walked through this. There is much speculation that Roe might be overturned and Mm -hmm. abortion decisions go back to the states. Mm -hmm. What do you think the pro-life movement needs to do now, or if that happens, to transform the culture? Mm -hmm. You know, I think we need to continue to do what we're doing because even if Roe is overturned um, and some of the states, um, you know, make it illegal, women are still going to get pregnant and have unplanned pregnancies. So we still need to do what we're doing. I would say it's the church that needs to rise up, that the church is a place where I think women need to run to if they're in that situation and not run away from. So I think the pro-life movement needs to not um, think, oh, okay, we're finished, we, we, we made it. No, we need to continue to still do what um, 
we've been doing and not to be silent, even though um, we're getting a lot pushed back in a different way. Um, this is not the time to, you know, cower or, <laughs> or let fear um, dictate anything. This is a time for us to continue to rise up because as you mentioned earlier, um, so many people for years and years and years since Roe v. Ray was passed in 1973 have been fighting for this very time. And so we're standing on their shoulders and what they've done. And I think we need to continue, continue in that and be faithful to that. You've mentioned that you're very active on social media. And I wonder if you have any advice for us as, as pro-lifers, because mm -hmm. social media can be such a quagmire and it can be so scary out there. What mm -hmm. are your words of advice for us? I would say as you educate yourself before you engage on that side, educate yourself so that you're not pushed into a corner or get very angry or feed into the, the things that they try to tell you. Because on the other side, they're going to use a lot of emotional tactics, a lot of circumstantial um, tactics, because they don't want to hear truth. They don't, they're not grounded in truth. So they don't care about any of that. And so I often tell people the best thing that I do is turn it around and make the question back to them. Make the other side have to defend why they believe what they believe. They have nothing to stand on. So I just had that recently of a guy saying to me, oh, why don't, how many kids have you adopted? How many, you know? And I said, if you're very concerned about this, let me know how many you have adopted. And I can give you the link to the next woman that I'm going to help who, um, the, for a baby shower, I can send you that link and you can help, help us out. No, nothing. Of course, <laughs> he's not going to respond because they don't really care. They're, they're turning around and acting like we don't care when it's really them who, who do not care. And you have to guard yourself. If you're not in the mindset spiritually, mentally to engage in that, don't do it. You know, whatever you have, if you feel like, okay, I have the energy to engage in this, then go ahead. But if you're not, just don't, you don't have to engage. <laughs> um, this is why I'm doing more action outside. I love social media, but I'm doing more action outside of social media than I am on it. Um, feet on the boots on the ground is much better. <laughs> um, that's not going to be at maybe as notice, but whatever. But, um, with social media, it's, it's, I'm kind of praying through that. If I feel like, Lord, am I supposed to be engaging? Or if I'm like wanting to say something that I probably shouldn't say in this moment, cause I could get angry too and want to lash out just as much. Um, it's like, I have to remember they're not grounded in truth. Is this worth my energy? And the block button is great. <laughs> um, but we know we have the truth on our side but the more educated you are the easier it is to combat the lies from the other side so um you know i i remember one time just writing down the main lies that i would hear just so that i could combat that and be confident um, because you're bringing your own voice 
You know, it's not someone else's voice. I'm not Lila Rose. I'm not Kristen Hawkins. I've learned so much from them, and they're definitely people I would follow to get educated. Um, but they're not me. So it's going to come across in a different way. So when you own it yourself and you know why you believe what you believe, that's going to come across uh, more powerfully. Thank you so much for your wonderful testimony. Thank you for all you're doing for life. It's really encouraging. It's really inspiring. And um, you serve as a great role model, I think, for all of us in the pro-life movement. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. Mm -hmm. Positively Pro-Life is made possible through the generous support of local organizations throughout the Commonwealth. We shed the truth on abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia. Thanks for joining us. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life.